Thank you, the music singers. While you're standing, why don't we open your Bible if you have one? There's a slide up there. And we turn to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Philippians, chapter 3. Amen. Amen. We had a bit of um, disruption with parking and stuff today. The, originally, they were going to turn our power off for the whole Sunday, but we managed to um, overcome that and they routed it so we could continue to have power but there's been a bit of disruption so we're sorry about that but that should only be for today and be finished philippians chapter 3 beginning at verse 12 and let's let's read from there not that i have already attained or am already perfected but i press on that i may lay hold of that for which christ jesus has also laid hold of me brethren i do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, I pray that you would speak to your church. Give us ears to hear what you'd say to the church today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Philippians. Philippians. It's a very commonly quoted book of the Bible and uh, it's actually um, one of Paul's prison epistles that was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison in Rome to the church in Philippi and Sister uh, Bethany mentioned the story of Paul and Silas and how they were in prison and you find that in Acts chapter 16 how they at midnight they, they prayed and sang songs of worship and there was an earthquake and they were set free from their, their bondage. Well, that's in Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, you'll find the establishment of the Philippian church. On Paul's second missionary journey, um, he had a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia calling him, come and help us, come and help us. So he, they immediately, Paul and Silas immediately decided to go to Macedonia to answer the call of God. So they arrived in a town or a city, the most um, notable city of that area he called the city of Philippi. And the first thing that happened is they went down to the, the river where women met to pray, which means, tells me there probably wasn't a synagogue in that city, and, but they went down to the river where the women met to pray and they converted a woman whose name was Lydia. Lydia. A seller of purple. Didn't just wear purple. She was a seller of purple. And then they were continued on um, speaking to people, telling them about the Lord and, and, and so on. And, and they started to be harassed by this girl, a slave girl, who had a spirit of divination. And so in the end, Paul commanded the spirit of divination to come out of her. And this upset her the slave girl's masters because the scripture says they had made a lot of money out of her spirit of divination. So what they did is they beat Paul and Silas up and then they took them to the magistrate and the magistrate threw them in prison. And so they ended up beaten up in stocks and chains in the prison. And as my sister read this in, during the worship service at midnight. Where, while, even though they were in prison, even though they were in chains, even though they'd been beaten, at the darkest time, 
they prayed and sang, and sang songs to God, sang hymns under God. And there was a, an earthquake which released all the prisoners. And I won't continue with the story, but uh, from that event, the Philippian jailer and his whole family were baptised in Jesus' name and filled with the Spirit and born again. And so that was the beginning of the church in Philippi. A seller of purple named Lydia and a jailer. So you can look at Paul and Silas and that's a wonderful story that gives us um, uh, a lesson to, in our darkest hour when things are at our worst, that's when we need to pray and worship. That's how we will be released from that. That's what that story tells us. But really, that whole story is the story of redemption of the Philippian jailer and his family. Just like at our conference, a guy, one of our brethren preached about Jonah, and it's not really about Jonah, it's about Nineveh, the, the redemption of Nineveh. And on our home groups, we've been talking about, um, there was a lesson about the spies who went into Jericho and they met Rahab, and that whole story was the redemption of Rahab. And that's what this was. The, the call from Macedonia was Paul and Silas coming over to redeem these people who were hungry for God. And that's how the Philippian church started. But as I said, um, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And prison's not like prison that we have today. He was, I guess he was under house arrest, but that meant he had to actually provide his own living expenses. They didn't kind of give him food and shelter and everything. He had to actually make live himself and the Philippian church that he that was originally just Lydia and, and the Philippian jail they sent an, an offering to Paul in prison to help him at this time and so that's what this letter is it's a response to that offering that the church that he had a hand in founding all those years before were providing to help him live and if there's going to be um, one word that summarises the book of Philippians, it would be rejoice. Rejoice. Written by a guy in prison to a church that began when he was in prison. So there's four chapters in this, and this, I'll put a slide up there, which is basic, the basic theme it's not all that's in that chapter, but it's the basic theme of those chapters. Chapter 1 talks about having joy in all circumstances, even when you're suffering, you still have joy. And chapter 2 talks about there's joy when you serve others, and you know that's true. If, you, if you're feeling down or depressed and you want to feel better, go and help somebody else. There's joy in serving others. And chapter 3 says we find joy in our faith in Jesus, that no matter... Um, um, the circumstances of life, our faith is in Jesus and he is greater than our problems. He is greater than everything that's in the world. And chapter 4 is about joy in giving, how um, it's actually a blessing. You know, they say it's better to give to re than receive. And you think, how, that's not how's that true? When you become a, a parent or even a grandparent, you know, you find that's really true. When you get to give stuff to your kids or your grandkids, there's more pleasure in that. But in the, in the kingdom of God, we are called to give and there's fulfilment and joy in giving. So that's a quick outline of the book of Philippians. And in his epistles, 
the Apostle Paul often used sporting analogies to teach spiritual lessons. Um, and one of the most common he used was running a race, you know. He talked about running a race. And for example, in Acts 20 and 24, when he's talking to the Ephesian church, Paul talked about finishing his race with joy. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says that we should run in such a way that we win the prize. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, he said that he had fought the good fight, he'd finished the race, he had kept the faith. So he often used sporting analogies to teach us a spiritual lesson. And that's what this scripture here that we just read in Philippians chapter 3, is to, it continues that analogy, running the race, running the race. And he says that to be successful, to win the prize, you can't think that you've already won while you're still running the race. To make sure that he was successful, he had to press on with determination. He had to focus on what was ahead and he had to forget the things that were behind him. He had to forget what had happened previously in the past. He had needed to go forward. How can we forget what's happened to us? I don't... Oh, (laughs) now I'm older, I can. Well, I can forget what happened today, but I can't forget what happened when I was a kid. How can we forget what's happened to us? And I don't think Paul means that we we are not to remember what's happened in the past. After all, the scripture exhorts us, it says, follow the old paths. It says, um, uh, learn from your forefathers. Learn from what happened. Learn from the events and teaching of scripture. Rather, Paul said by saying, forget the things that are behind and reach forward to the the things which are ahead means that we shouldn't let things that have happened in the past interfere with us winning the race that's ahead of us. It's, if you imagine that you're running a race at the Olympics and you're, while you're in the race, you're not going to be stopping to look back and see how far you run. You wouldn't look behind you to see how many other competitors you're beating and you wouldn't look back at the obstacles you'd already overcome. No, you'd be looking ahead, focused on what was ahead, the obstacles you were approaching to make sure you were able to run your best race and you could obtain the reward that comes from winning the race. So I've called this um, message, next slide please, yesterday's gone. Because we are not to let the things that happened yesterday adversely affect what happens today. Because we are to forget the things which are behind and press forward to the things which are ahead. And I was thinking about the things which are behind that can affect us today and the first thing that I thought about was our failures, but our past failures have gone. I, um, I shouldn't tell stories about my family, but hopefully they're not watching. My, my, I've, my daughter is 40 years old, but she doesn't have a driver's licence at 40. My mother didn't get a driver's licence until she was 40 two or three or something, so it's obviously a family trait not to get a licence till that older. And I, um, speaking as a long-time passenger in my mother's car, I do not advocate waiting till you're in your 40s. We had to 
double width the, the driveway because she kept hitting the gate, but then she'd hit the letterbox. But then my mum's passed away, so she's not hearing me. Anyway, my daughter's 40 and she hasn't got a licence. And so that means if she has to go somewhere, she either has to catch a bus or she has to ask somewhere someone else to give her a lift. She has, she's completely dependent on others to get places. And when she was first old enough to get a driver's licence, she wasn't in a position to be able to learn to drive. A few years later, she was, and so she decided she would learn to drive, and so she had some driving lessons with an instructor from a driving school so she could get a driver's licence. And she had, I don't know, maybe four lessons or so. And, uh, and during that last lesson she had, something happened which scared her, which frightened her. It didn't go well. I'm not, I don't know what happened, but it frightened her. And she said she couldn't bear to have the children, her children in the car and have her fault that they'd be hurt. And so she, that's, what she, that's all she could think about. Her, her mistake that she made on this driving lesson um, was so much that she feared it would happen again while the kids were in the car, and so she quit because she didn't want it to happen again. Her past error had stopped her progress. That's it, she finished. She became completely paralysed by fear of this event and she stopped her lessons. She's never driven a car again and here she is, uh, 40 years old, and can't drive. And it's funny because her kids are going to have driving... Um, driving licences before she does. Yes, we are shaped by things that have happened in our past. We are shaped by our past failures. That's true. And our experiences and our failures, they, they, they expect, they, ex, they ad, I've got a word there somewhere, affect, thank you. Our, our failures in the past affect our disposition. That means because of what happened to us, we may be disposed to act a certain way or, or disposed to feel a certain way about things. But disposition is not the same as determination. How you feel or how you're disposed isn't the absolute, um, uh, absolute determination of what will happen. Just because you are disposed to feel a certain way doesn't mean you have to feel that way. Just because you're disposed to act a certain way that doesn't mean you have to act a certain way. Let's look at some of the people in Scripture. The Apostle Paul, for example, here in 1 Corinthians 15 and 9, this is what he said, I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He persecuted, he was um, involved in the killing of people, of Christians. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. Think of, can you imagine if it was you, you were coming into the church when you actually had been involved in killing Christians before that? But it, that didn't... That, that didn't affect his, that didn't determine his future. His past mistakes did not determine his future. Then there's Moses. Moses, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. This is in the New Living Translation. When he's talking to God in, in the burning bush, he said, Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. I'm not able, I'm not able, I'm not able. And I can tell you that any one of our 
ministers at, at least will tell you that we're not able. It's beyond our capability to, to minister God's word and to, and to, to open it and, and, and shepherd people and, and teach them. It's beyond our capability. But that's not leaving room for God to move. If you are able to do it, what would you need God for? And so in the end, God sent his brother Aaron with him and that caused him some problems. But that was what God will often do in our areas of weakness. He will bring someone alongside us to make up the difference if we trust in him. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, said this in chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 5. It's a famous chapter. I was in the, um, I saw the, the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Isaiah said, Then I said, It's all over. I am doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Not only have I got a bad background, not only have I not good enough, only have I an unworthy. The whole, my whole family, my whole race, my whole people are unworthy. How can I approach your throne, O God? How can I do anything for you because I'm not worthy? And yet he became one of the most famous and influential prophets of the Old Testament. And then, of course, Gideon is another one. He was hiding out, threshing the wheat because they were being, um, the Philistines had them under subjection and they were hiding away, threshing his wheat so they wouldn't steal it. And then, and then an angel appeared and called him a mighty man of valour. And Gideon said this, But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? He said, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I'm the least in my entire family. I'm not able. My family is no good. We're from a bad background and I'm weak and I'm, and I'm scared and I'm hopeless and I can't. And yet Gideon, Gideon, we, everybody, even people outside the church know the story of Gideon, how with only a very small number of men he delivered Israel from, the, from their oppressors. All these men said they weren't able to do the things that God wanted because they weren't good enough. They had weaknesses and they had failures, but then God reminded them that he would be their strength, not their strength. He would be their strength. And it's often said that wisdom comes with age. Um, as I've got older, I haven't got wiser so much as I've got wider. But, the, but we are told to listen to our elders because they have wisdom. The only one who's saying that, the elders... In my experience, the young'uns are not saying that so much. And now that I'm quite old, I realise that um, older people are not necessarily smarter than the young. Do you agree, Sister Downs? <laughs> I didn't say they aren't, I said not necessarily. In fact... I can't remember so much stuff now. You know, they, they're saying, I've forgotten more than you ever knew, but now I've forgotten more than I ever knew. But I know lots of young people that are, smarter than, that are much smarter than me, lots of them. In this church, there's lots of young people that are much smarter than me. But the thing is, the older, the elders, me have already made the kind of mistakes that they're going to make. And we've already suffered the consequences of those mistakes that they are going to suffer if they disregard the record of the past. So it's not that we are smarter, it's just that we've made an, a mistake so you don't have to. We've suffered the consequences 
so you don't have to suffer the consequences, young people. So that's why you need to listen to the wisdom of the elders because they're trying to help you avoid the same mistakes that they made. So instead of being paralysed by our past mistakes, we should just learn from them. Learn from them. And focus on moving forward in the race. You know, they said that, that um, some of the great inventors, they, you know, failed a thousand times. Well, now I know a thousand ways how not to do it. I've just got to find the right way to do it. And that's what we can too. We can, say, we can claim the same promise of God that Micah knew to be true. In Micah 7 and 8, next slide, says this, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, when I fall. I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. So when I fall, I'm going to arise because the Lord is going to be a light to me in the darkness. So don't let your past mistakes affect your current life. Don't let the lies of the enemy bring up that to say that you cannot go forward because you can. You when you fall, you will arise because the Lord will be a light to you. So not only have your past mistakes gone, so have your past successes on. Oh. Just as focusing on our past failures can cause us to stop going forward, so can lingering on our past successes. Thinking we've already, as Paul said, not as if I've already apprehended. I don't think that I've, that I've made it. I'm not there yet. In Luke 9:62, Jesus said this. Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plough and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And we usually interpret this scripture as saying, don't go back to the lifestyle you left behind. Once you become a Christian, once you start living for God, don't go back to the lifestyle you left behind. And, that, and that's, a, that's a valid interpretation of that scripture and a valid lesson from that scripture. But I also think it can re, re refer to past victories as well. It's good to remember past victories. It's good to celebrate them. But not so much that we become stuck at a place where we're living on past glories. We shouldn't live in yesterday's blessings and successes because there's new blessings and new successes that God has for us today going forward. When God used Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, he provided manna for them every day. Every day. They had to go out each day and collect the blessing for that day. And as the Bible says that if they, got, if they kept it, if they collected too much and kept it for tomorrow, it began to stink and was full of worms. They had to rely upon God's provision every day. They couldn't live on yesterday's provision. They had to get the provision for that day. Lamentations chapter 3 says this, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. No, they are new every morning. Every morning, great is your faithfulness, oh God. If we are living on yesterday's victories and compassions, there's no room for a new one. We need to celebrate and rejoice and move on and see the, the Lord's compassion that's new for today. And we talked about on Friday night at the prayer meeting, we prayed the Lord's Prayer. And when Je that was, they called it the Lord's Prayer, really it was the disciples' prayer that Jesus taught them. He said, pray after this manner, and he taught them that prayer. And what does it say in Matthew 6, 11, that prayer? It says, give us this day our daily bread. Today, Lord, 
provide what we need today. He provides daily bread, what we need for today. Not, we're not living on the glories of yesterday. But each day, he gives us new bread for that day. So we're not, we're not um, our, our past mistakes are gone and our past successes are gone, but also our past wrongs have gone. And that means whether the wrong was done by us or to us. Isaiah 43 says this, Don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What a wonderful promise. Don't remember the former things of old. The same what Apostle Paul said in Philippians. Forget, don't forget the things that are in the past. Move on to the things of the future. And God says here that he's going to make a new thing. He's, it will, he's going to make a road in the wilderness. If we find ourselves in the wilderness, God will make a way for us. He'll make a road out of that wilderness. Not, we're not going to stay there. He's going to take us through that wilderness and he will make a way for us. If we were in the, in the desert because of the actions of ourselves or because of the actions of other people, he will make a river to sustain us in that wilderness. We are not to sit down in the wilderness or stay in the desert. We're not to stay there. We are to follow the path out that God makes for us. He will sustain us while we do that. And I found in, in my life that when God does something through you, first he does something in you. And you can see that throughout the scripture. We talked about um, um, Moses leading Israel out of Egypt. But first he had to live in the backside of the desert for 40 years until God prepared him to do that. He had to change something in him for him to be able to do something through him. And you see that throughout the scripture. Whenever God wants to do something through you, first he will do something in you. And so we should be uh, looking for change in us because we can't, we even saying that, we, we can't control the past and we can't control the future. But if God is in us, we are, his compassions are new every morning. His compassions are new every morning. Let me first talk about what happens if you've, if something um, you're wrong in the past was done by you to someone else. And it's unfortunately true that probably all of us have done something wrong to somebody else. And sometimes that can be um, a roadblock to our progress. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He said, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Do you know that scripture? I know that scripture, I know Bishop Downs preached on that scripture at least twice because the two times he did it, someone came afterwards to tell me, tell me that they had a problem with me. And, um, I, I, and, you know, they went away feeling better about themselves and light and I went away thinking, what did I do to you? <laughs> and that was reality that both of those ones were not because I'd done anything 
our personalities just clashed or something. That was what the issue was. They just had some, you know, you can't, some people, you, you just, your personalities clash. And so they read this scripture wrong. This, wrong, this, this scripture doesn't say, if you're carrying your gift to the altar and there remember that you've got something against your brother, leave your gift to the altar and go and see him. No, it says, if your brother has something against you, if, you've done, if you're bringing a gift to the altar and remember that you've done something wrong to someone else, you need to first go and make that right and then bring your gift to the altar. It's got nothing to do with what they've done to you. If you have something against someone, then you need to deal with it. And the scriptural way, if I ask you what's the scriptural way of dealing, dealing with something, if, you, if, um, if something, someone has done something wrong to you, what's the scriptural way? And you'd probably say, go and see him just between thee and him alone and then if he will not hear you, take two or three witnesses and then if he will not hear you, tell it to the church. Is that the scriptural way? Actually, that scripture says, if your brother sins against you, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him between you and thee alone, you and him alone. And then if he will not hear you, take two or three witnesses, not supporters, witnesses. And there's a lot of difference between having a personality clash and him sinning against you, isn't there? So what's the, the um, correct biblical method for someone that you don't get on with? If there's someone that you dislike, not because of, they haven't done anything sinful, but you just don't like the way they do things or they don't like the way they do their hair or they don't sing right or they didn't pay enough attention to you one time when you said hello, they snubbed you or something when they probably didn't even hear you, of course. And so if you, what's the scriptural way for that? The biblical way is pray for them. The biblical way is find ways to bless them. The biblical way is to treat them with respect and kindness. Why? Because that issue between you and them is an issue of your heart. And you need God to work on your heart to repair that relationship with them. And I know you don't want to hear that, but I'm giving it to you for free. I, I, once... I, I think it might have been another church I told. If you really have a, uh, like someone that you have a um, dislike and you don't get on, I give you, um, if you want to fix it, this week, find a way to bless them. Go and find a way to bless them. And you're not allowed to tell them. And you're not allowed to tell anybody else either that you did it. What you do in secret, the Lord will see. And who will change your heart. You want to change your heart? Treasure them. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, if you've done something against somebody else, then you need to make it right. That's what that scripture in Matthew says. Leave your gift there, go your way, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. But, Sometimes you can't make it right. Sometimes you can't make it right. But you can do what you can 
and let God change your heart. And I know, I know people that have been wronged in the past and the things that happen to them are always at the forefront of their thoughts. Do you know people like that? Where, where all they talk about is something that's happened to them in the past. A wrong has happened in the past. So now I've moved from if you've done the wrong to if the wrong was done to you. And it's understandable that past wrongs can affect us deeply. And they can really damage us emotionally and mentally and spiritually. They can damage us, past wrongs that are done to us. But for some people, the wrong that was done to them has become their identity. It's become who they are. But we need to remember our identity is not found in something that happened. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We are a, a child of God. We're a son and daughter of the living God. We are not what happened to us. We are not that victim. And it's impossible for the wrongs of the past to be fixed. You can't make things as if they never happened, unfortunately. And because there is nothing that they can do to resolve the hurt or the shame, people can become stuck on it, reliving it over and over and over and over and over and over. You know, you can't, I, you can't, I should have done something. You can only do things. I'm reminded, what's the time? Yeah, I'm reminded about the Irish Troubles. You know, the... You know the, the conflict in Ireland between the um, the the, the um, north and the south, between the Protestants and the Catholics, really is what it came down to. It was that was a terrible time in their history, turmoil and and killings and kidnappings. Terrible things were done by both sides to each other, and really that that conflict started a thousand years ago really, when the first English settlers moved to Ireland. That's where, it, that's where it basically it really it started. But the thing was, this, this terrible time in the history where, the, where both sides were guilty of horrendous crimes, nothing can be done to change that. Nothing could be done to fix it. There's no way that could ever be made right. Events of the past cannot be undone. I remember talking to a guy who was stuck on something that happened to him 30 years ago, 30 years ago, and that's all he talked about, this thing that happened 30 years ago, and I said, I, wanted, I said to him, how can it be fixed? It can't be fixed. The only way it can be fixed is to go back in a time machine to 30 years ago and make it not happen. It can't be fixed. So when the Irish Troubles what they ended up doing, which is, which is a really unsatisfactory conclusion, they drew a line in the sand. They said, from this day, anything that happened before it will no longer be investigated. They said that anybody who, who um, was involved in any of these things, if they come and cooperate so that we can find the bodies and give them to their families for burial and we can, and all that kind of stuff, you will not be prosecuted. They said that from this date, the past is forgotten. And that's an unsatisfactory conclusion because 
how can the people forget the things that happened to their families? But it's the, it's the only conclusion that can be done because how else could the country move forward? How else can they, can they go on from there if they were still holding on to something that could not be fixed and can never be fixed? And if we're stuck in the past, then we can't move forward into the future. And that's not to say we should forget things that happen and pretend they never happened. No, that's not that at all. We will always remember the wrong and the hurt and the shame. There's things, I remember things, and you know, if you suddenly get a flash of it, often it's like a, a, a song or a smell or something brings that back to you and you feel that emotion again, don't you? Feel it again. That's not denying that. But those things are not defined. Those things are not who we are. That thing doesn't, that's not who I am. I may have done something stupid when I was young and stupid. Now I'm old and stupid. But that's not who I am. That's in the past and yesterday's gone. I'm going to give you a couple of um, sayings that I... This one's in Alice in Wonderland. That's a good, good place to find your theology. Alice in Wonderland. It's no use going back to yesterday because I was a different person then. We can't go back to yesterday because it's not, we're not the same. And God is, will take the things that happened to us and he will use them for good. That's not to say they were good and it's not to say that they were painful or shameful and awful, but he will turn them into something beautiful in his hands. Look at, look at um, Paul and Silas. Shameful, they were beaten in the street. They were thrown into jail and shackled. Shameful. But look what God did. And from that, a family, whole family was born again, become children of God, and a church was started in that, in that nation and in that city. It's no use going back to yesterday. I'm not that same person that I was back then. The past does not equal the future unless you live there. Just because things were a certain way in the past, that doesn't mean they're the same way now. Unless you're living in the past, those things no longer have a power over you. And next slide. That's the, this is the one I want to tell you about. When you're talking to someone who's had a wrong done in the, to them in the past, as they tell you the story of what happened, they're reliving it. It's happening to them again. But we need to understand when we're, we're, we're relating the past wrongs that we're just telling a story because it's, it's not happening now. And sometimes we need to realise that we should stop telling ourselves the same story. That's finished. And if I keep telling the story, I'm still living in that story and it's still happening to me today we need to understand that it's just a story it's a painful story and it brings up emotions in us and it hurts but that was then and this is now we need to change our relationship with time from the past to the present so that's that's just some sayings out of books and people to on the subject but now let's turn to the the wisdom of god because that's the most important place to find truth past wrongs are gone and 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 17 says this therefore if anyone is in Christ 
What are you? You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So the word of God says, if you're in Christ, all those things, that, all the wrongs that were done to you, they've passed away. And you're a new person. You're a new creation. You're not damaged by that wrong anymore. You are now whole and complete in Jesus Christ. All things have become new. You are a new creation, a new creature. That's when we sing that. We, sing, we often think that, yes, now I'm a child of God, and that's true, but we are let, set free from all the, our past at the same time. Not just our sins, but the wrongs and the hurts and the shame. Revelation 21.5 says this, He who sat on the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. It's true and faithful that God is making all things new. All things new. Next slide, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, 24. We are told that we put off concerning our former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and we should be renewed in the spirit of our mind that we put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And we read that and we think, I need to put off the sinful past. I need to stop being involved in those wicked things and I need to instead put on the robes of righteousness and I need to put on the new man and walk according to the scripture, according to God's ways and God's word. And that's true. But we also are to put off the old man that was hurt and damaged and that wrong was done to. We're putting that old man off and we're putting on the new man who's a new creation, who's, who is made new in him. The new man. And Philippians, back to Philippians, chapter 3. One thing, all I do is one thing, he said. This is what the Apostle Paul said. I do one thing. I forget the things which are behind and reach forward to the things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Or as our pastor preached in the 915 service, one thing I do, I seek the face of God. I don't let the, the things that happened yesterday affect my future and my present. Because yesterday's gone and I'm a new creation and God makes all things new. Let's stand this afternoon. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word and for your promises. We're so thankful, Lord God, that you will make all things new, that you take a weak and sinful man like me, that you take a person with all my faults and mistakes, Lord, and you make me into your child. I'm so thankful you give us the daily bread, what we need for each day, that your compassions are new every morning and great is your faithfulness, oh God. I'm so thankful that I know you and, and, and I know, oh God, that, you have, that I have an expected end, that I have a future, that I have a purpose, that I have a goal, that I can press towards you because in you is fullness of joy. And I know, oh God, that you will never leave me nor forsake me. I know that you are with me, that you will make a, a, a highway in the wilderness and a river in the desert for me. And as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know that thou art with me. The rod and your staff comfort me. I'm so thankful to know you, God. I'm so thankful that you are our God and I'm your child, Lord. 
Help me to, Lord, to move forward, to press toward the mark, Lord God. Help me to seek your face with all my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength, Lord God. Lord, help me to put off the old man and to put on the new creation made in you in righteousness and holiness. I thank you, O God, for your promises, and I thank you for your spirit, and I thank you for your word, O God. I thank you for the church you've given us, Lord, to encourage and edify and build up each other. And I pray that you'd be with us, O God, in Jesus' name.